It's fun to be inquisitive. Be nosy. Stick to your passion. Find out more for yourself. Quest is fun. Join me, Tristan Pang, on a journey of inspiration. Welcome to Youth Voices. Hello, everyone. Welcome to my show. This is your host, Tristan Pang, on Planet FM 104.6. Youth Voices. Great to have your company here today. Firstly, in today's show... I would like to share with you an extract from Stefan Budgsman's book, Pluses and Minuses, about how math solves our problems. Every time you use Google Maps to find a way somewhere, you rely on a piece of mathematics. You open the app, enter your destination, and within a few seconds, it will automatically come up with a few possible routes. Google can only do that through clever use of math. Imagine that Google was crazy enough to get people who are good at reading maps to work out your route. Every time you search for a route, they would put those people to work. Not only would it take a very long time, but it would also be very inefficient. Google's map readers would repeatedly have to work out the same route for people like me who can't remember how long it takes to get from home to their friends' houses. Preferably, they would work out all kinds of routes in advance, just in case someone might need them one day. But would that be any better? The chances that someone else needs exactly the same route as you aren't that great, Unless, for example, you live in a student house and are looking for the best route to a university. And my neighbours certainly won't be visiting my friends or my publisher, whom I look up in the app because I want to make sure, yet again, that I get there on time. Unless Google can predict what journeys I'm going to be making, it's regularly going to need someone to work out new routes. And let's face it, no matter how good they are with a map, that's going to take a lot of time. That's why we leave the map reading to math. A computer works out the best way for you to make your journey but not in the same way that people do. The mass that the computer uses doesn't recognise streets on a satellite photo and can't calculate distances from the scale of a map. Navigation systems sees the world as a collection of small circles joined together by lines. What about recommendations from Netflix? Next to each one, in green, is a percentage that tells you how well it fits in with what you normally watch. Sometimes it's completely wrong and a film you're supposed to think it's wonderful turns out to be a great disappointment. But if, for a change, you don't ignore the percentages, they should reflect your taste quite accurately. The recommendations are generated fully automatically and will change the more you watch other kinds of programs. In other words, there's a computer program somewhere that knows, without having any understanding of any of the films and series, what suits you and what doesn't. Netflix does this, of course, on the basis of information it has about its users. Massive numbers of people watch films and series on Netflix, and the company keeps a record of their viewing habits. In very simple terms, that means Netflix knows what kind of movies and series we all watch, whether they are documentaries about route planning algorithms, horror movies, or something else. Netflix also puts all its films and series into categories, then it uses two sets of data to make its recommendations. If you watch a lot of horror movies, you'll probably want to watch one you haven't seen before. Sounds simple enough. The difficulty lies in what else Netflix does. It gives all films and series which don't fall into a certain category, in this case horror, a score in the form of a percentage. The percentage shows how well the film fits in with what you normally watch. In other words, Netflix also decides how similar an adventure movie is to a series of horror movies. If a lot of scary things happen in it, it will fit in better with your normal viewing behaviour than one which is less horrific. These are the kind of details your friends often tell you if you ask them to recommend something to watch. 
Netflix can give you that information too, though its recommendations are by no means as accurate as those of a real movie buff. What makes it more complicated is that you might only watch certain kinds of horror films. If you don't like ones with a lot of blood, very bloody movies will fit your profile much less closely than a somewhat scarier than average adventure film. Simply looking at the general category doesn't always produce the best recommendations, since what really matters is the content of the movies. As computers have no understanding of content, perhaps Netflix should simply hire a lot of staffs who do. But as this is not feasible with millions of viewers, it has to rely on computers and algorithms to make their recommendations. That's possible, but it does require a trick. The idea is actually very simple. A recommendation is good if it's similar to what you like to watch. All around the world, people watch programs on Netflix that they like because they are similar to series and films they have seen before. For Netflix's computers, two films are similar. If a lot of people have seen one, go on to watch the other. If thousands of people watch Iron Man 2 after having watched Iron Man 1, they must be similar. And Iron Man 2 is a good recommendation for people who have seen Iron Man. The more people use Netflix, the more accurate the predictions will be. The computer programs suggest films and series that a lot of other people have seen, and which are roughly similar to what you have watched yourself. This solution comes with a problem. Netflix has millions of users, each of whom has watched a large number of movies and series. The trick Netflix used to make recommendation is a simple mathematical calculation. It looks at how people with the same viewing history have also seen the program it wants to recommend. The problem is in the calculation. Netflix also has to take account of people who have seen almost the same programs, but not quite. And what about people who like not only horror films but also documentaries? There are far fewer people who have seen the same programs, and that make recommendations less reliable. The simple idea proves to be a lot more complicated in practice. That's why it helps to show all films and series on offer on the map. Every film or series is a circle, like a station or place on the map in the world of Netflix. You can travel from place to place by clicking on two different films or series on the Netflix map. Now we listen to Eddie Wu's TED Talk. Eddie is an Australian maths educator with a very successful YouTube channel and has won numerous awards. He teaches in an engaging way and has reached millions of people around the world. I love mathematics. Is exactly what to say at a party if you want to spend the next couple of hours sipping your drink alone in the least cool corner of the room, and that's because when it comes to this subject, all the numbers, formulas, symbols, and calculations, the vast majority of us are outsiders, and that includes me. That's why today I want to share with you an outsider's perspective of mathematics, what I understand of it from someone who's always struggled with the subject. And what I've discovered, as someone who went from being an outsider to making maths my career, is that surprisingly, we are all deep down born to be mathematicians. <laughs> But back to me being an outsider, I know what you're thinking. Wait a second, Eddie. What would you know? You're a maths teacher. You went to a selective school. You wear glasses, and you're Asian. <laughs> Now, Firstly, that's racist. <laughs> Secondly, that's wrong. When I was at school, my favourite subjects were English and history, and this caused a lot of angst for me as a teenager because my high school truly honoured mathematics. Your status in the school pretty much correlated with which mathematics class you ranked in. There were eight classes, so if you were in maths four, that made you just about average. 
If you were in maths one, you were like royalty. Each year, our school entered the prestigious Australian mathematics competition and would print out a list of everyone in the school in order of our scores. <laughs> Students who received prizes and high distinctions were pinned up at the start of a long corridor, far, far away from the dark and shameful place where my name appeared. Maths was not really my thing. Stories, characters, narratives, this is where I was at home. And that's why I raised my sails and set course to become an English and history teacher. But a chance encounter at Sydney University altered my life forever. I was in line to enroll at the Faculty of Education when I started a conversation with one of its professors. He noticed that while my academic life had been dominated by humanities, I had actually attempted some high-level maths at school. And what he saw was not that I had a problem with maths, but that I had persevered with maths. And he knew something I didn't, that there was a critical shortage of mathematics educators in Australian schools, a shortage that remains to this day. So he encouraged me to change my teaching area to mathematics. Now for me, becoming a teacher wasn't about my love for a particular subject. It was about having a personal impact on the lives of young people. I'd seen firsthand at school what a lasting and positive difference a great teacher can make. I wanted to do that for someone, and it didn't matter to me what subject I did it in. If there was an acute need in mathematics, then it made sense for me to go there. As I studied my degree, though, I discovered that mathematics was a very different subject to what I'd originally thought. I'd made the same mistake about mathematics that I'd made earlier in my life about music. Like a good migrant child, I dutifully learned to play the piano when I was young. <laughs> My weekends were filled with endlessly repeating scales and memorizing every note in the piece spring and winter. I lasted two years before my career was abruptly ended when my teacher told my parents, his fingers are too short, I will not teach him anymore. <laughs> At seven years old, I thought of music like torture. It was a dry, solitary, joyless exercise that I only engaged with because someone else forced me to. It took me 11 years to emerge from that sad place. In year 12, I picked up a steel string acoustic guitar for the first time. I wanted to play it for church, and there was also a girl I was fairly keen on impressing, so I convinced my brother to teach me a few chords. And slowly, but surely, my mind changed. I was engaged in a creative process. I was making music and I was hooked. I started playing in a band and I felt the delight of rhythm pulsing through my body as we brought our sounds together. I'd been surrounded by a musical ocean my entire life and for the first time I realized I could swim in it. I went through an almost identical experience when it came to mathematics. I used to believe that maths was about rote learning inscrutable formulas to solve abstract problems that didn't mean anything to me. But at university, I began to see that mathematics is immensely practical and even beautiful. That it's not just about finding answers, but also about learning to ask the right questions. And that mathematics isn't about mindlessly crunching numbers, but rather about forming new ways to see problems so we can solve them by combining insight with imagination. 
it gradually dawned on me that mathematics is a sense. Mathematics is a sense just like sight and touch. It's a sense that allows us to perceive realities which would be otherwise intangible to us. You know, we talk about a sense of humor and a sense of rhythm. Mathematics is our sense for patterns, relationships, and logical connections. It's a whole new way to see the world. Now, I want to show you a mathematical reality that I guarantee you've seen before, but perhaps never really perceived. It's been hidden in plain sight your entire life. This is a river delta. It's a beautiful piece of geometry. Now, when we hear the word geometry, most of us think of triangles and circles. But geometry is the mathematics of all shapes. And this meeting of land and sea has created shapes with an undeniable pattern. It has a mathematically recursive structure. Every part of the river delta, with its twists and turns, is a microversion of the greater whole. So I want you to see the mathematics in this. Things get even more perplexing when you realize it's not just water systems and plants that do this. If you keep your eyes open, you'll see these same shapes are everywhere. Lightning bolts disappear so quickly that we seldom have the opportunity to ponder their geometry. But their shape is so unmistakable and so similar to what we've just seen that one can't help but be suspicious. And then there's the fact that every single person in this room is filled with these shapes too. Every cubic centimeter of your body is packed with blood vessels that trace out this same pattern. There's a mathematical reality woven into the fabric of the universe that you share with winding rivers, towering trees, and raging storms. These shapes are examples of what we call fractals as mathematicians. Fractals get their name from the same place as fractions and fractures. It's a reference to the broken and shattered shapes we find around us in nature. If you have any feedback, please email me at youthvoicesnz at gmail.com or visit my website www.questisfun.org.nz slash youthvoices, that's Q-U-E-S-T hyphen I-S hyphen F-U-N dot O-R-G dot slash youthvoices. See you next month. Bye. Join me again for another exciting program next month on the first Wednesday at 2.10pm or listen anytime online at planetaudio.org.nz slash youthvoices or listen to the archive on my website www.questisfun.org.nz slash youthvoices. Youth Voices.